Today I read an article that, that is teaching that the mark of the beast is, the, um, is basically the, the homosexual agenda rainbow. Yeah. I looked at, I read that article and I just, I showed it to Lisa and she just exploded in, in laughter of like, are you serious? This is, it's tragic in the sense that it's not, not because it's, it's attacking that group, but because we are, we are using the Bible to make it say something that it never teaches and says. Matter of fact, I be, again, I have to look at it again to be for sure, but the mark of the beast happens in the tribulation period. And as far as I know, we are not there yet. Okay? <laughs> so, so um, anyway, the point is, yes, we, we are going to do Revelation. But I'm probably going to do Revelation on a Sunday night so that, so that more of the church can, can get it and be here. And, and I'm thinking about an Old Testament book um, we, we might, uh, every time I think Old Testament, I love the books of Esther, Ruth, um, Daniel, sorry? Yeah, yeah, so, so th- 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 that's probably where we're going, but if you want to, and you've got some questions that we can handle on a Wednesday night, we can take a small break in between the Hebrews and the next book, and and just answer some questions. So think about them and do what I always ask you to do. Email them or text them. And then I'll make a compilation of the questions and, and we'll work on those for a few weeks maybe and, and just talk through them and, and study through them. But tonight, let's go into Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews 12, the beginning anyway. Remember I told, I, I'm sure you know this already just in general, but when the Bible was written, it was not written with verse numbers, chapter breaks, paragraph headings. None of that stuff was in the Bible. Y- y'all, y'all know that, right? It was just long text, really, Andrew. And it, 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 it was later that we added the, all these breaks and divisions. Really, the beginning of chapter 12 is simply a continuation of Hebrews 11. All right? Hebrews 11 being the chapter of faith and the chapter of the Old Testament saints um, that, that, that believed in God's promises about the promised land and about the coming Messiah that had faith. They had faith in the coming Messiah yet having never seen them. And, and, and so Paul uses Hebrews 11 as an illustration to the Hebrew people of This is what faith can do. And he continues that story in Hebrews chapter 12. Now tonight I only want to look at, we're going to read the first two verses. We're only going to look at the first verse. So let's look at Hebrews 12 and uh, we'll open up up with a word of prayer and then we'll read the text. Heavenly Father, we thank you God for tonight. We pray Lord as we study God's word that you would Teach us and help us and help us to grow in our faith. And Lord, I pray that I will only teach the truth tonight. Lord, just let my my words speak out in in just the truth of the word, not colored in my preferences, not 
not tainted with my biases, but Lord, just what you intended it to, to say. And so Lord, please help us. Please help us in a big way. In Christ's name, amen. I start, hey Alice, how are you? Where's your, where's your cohort in crime? There she is. <laughs> Sorry? Oh, okay, you just met up outside. Okay, good, I'm glad y'all are here. We're going to start tonight in Hebrews chapter 12. I was listening to a, I was listening to a message the other day, and um, they, they were preaching out of Acts chapter 16, and I'm real, I'm, I was really interested in listening to the sermon because in a, in a, I don't know, a few months, a few years, a few decades, we will be in Acts chapter 16 on a Sunday night because we're in Acts 15 now, so we'll see how quickly we go through. But... Uh, um, Paul is preaching up on Mars Hill. And the people of Mars Hill said, Hey Paul, what is this new thing that you bring us? Tell us this new thing. We, we want a new thing. And these, these pagan people, these people who did not worship the real God, but they worshipped an image of a God, they, they said, bring us something new. And the rest of the 55-minute sermon by this teacher, was preaching against uh, what he entitled the sermon Athenian Baptists. In other words, he spent the entire sermon yelling at this congregation about don't change the paths of worship that you've been on. For uh, Don't get anything new. Don't start anything new. Stick with the old paths. Do you follow me? And I was really sad, saddened, because I thought, that is not actually what God is saying in that Scripture text. It's not saying, it's not, God is not speaking words for us to say to congregations, don't, get any, don't start anything new. And you know what they mean, don't you? Don't sing songs like we sang tonight. Don't... Um, don't do anything different than they did in the 50s or 60s because that's kind of where the bulk of our faith comes from. And so don't, don't, don't do that kind of thing. It's sad because people destroy God's Word. They make it say something it doesn't say. And then what happens is the people who hear these things, they suffer as well. You know why? Because if we do not get the whole pure counsel of God's Word, how can we really grow as Christians in God's people? If we are getting a tainted, subpar um, um, teaching of the Bible, we cannot grow as God wants us to. So that's why it's so important to simply just say what is there and not taint God's Word. So Paul, he begins in Hebrews 12. Look at verses 1 and 2 and we'll read them together. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Our text verse tonight is 1, verse 1. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with 
so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which does so easily beset us and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Anybody like to hear testimonies? Does anybody like testimonies? Sorry? Were you with... Uh, I saw on Facebook, and I was actually thinking about the Graham... Graham Swan. Uh, I saw his picture. I, I know him from some... I know his name. I, I, I just can't place him. What ministry does... What thing does he do? Okay. Testimonies. I like testimonies. I like testimonies because they show us what God does in people's lives. Then, I sit there and I think as I hear a person's testimony and hear about the wonderful things that God has done in their life, and I think, God can do those very same things or different things in my life. I, I hear a testimony and, and I don't say to myself, why doesn't God do that for me? I say to myself, wow, if God can do it for him, God can do it in my life. If God can do it for her, God can do it in my life. And do you know that's exactly what Paul is saying with Hebrews chapter 11? And that, that, he, that is what he's saying to us. Hebrews chapter 11 is a testimony of faith. It wasn't so much a proclamation of the greatness of Abraham or Noah or Abel or Enoch or Sarah or any of all the other ones that, that were there. Nobody was the star. Yes, Abraham had a lot of things that talked about. Moses had quite a few things that, 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 that Paul wrote about about the faith. But the star, the emphasis of Hebrews 11 is faith. It's talking about faith. What faith can do. What faith does in a person's life. Now Paul comes to Hebrews 12 and he says to them, he says, look, wherefore, that word wherefore looks back to all of chapter 11. He says, look, take chapter 11 and say, look, because of what I've just told you, then he begins verse 12, or verse 1 in chapter 12. Wherefore, all, the, all that stuff I just told you, seeing we are compassed about with a great cloud of witnesses. Wherefore, this whole chapter I've just told you about, Look at this great cloud of witnesses that we have. Paul says to the Hebrew people that are really struggling and having, a, having a, a hard time carrying on in their faith, he says, listen, we are surrounded by a great mass of witnesses to faith. I got a question for you. Has anyone ever heard that, you know what? In heaven, heaven is like a, a um, what do you, bleachers. Heaven's like a bunch of bleachers where everybody that's died and going to heaven is sitting there in the bleachers. Sorry? <laughs> Nikki goes, what's a bleacher? Does anybody want to know what a bleacher is? <laughs> okay. This is one of the few times that my, my vocab has really got me in trouble. And I don't know what the British... Ver you know, when you go to a sporting event and you sit in stands. Oh, is that what you call them? Stands. What are they? Stands. 
Okay, let me reverse. Have you ever heard about heaven is just this big picture of all these saints that have gone before you and they're sitting in these stands and they're cheering you on. You can make it. You can make it. You can make it. Has anybody ever heard that preached before? Honey, I thank God that most of the people here have never heard the crazy stuff that we have heard. Andrew, I've heard sermons on that. And here's what they do. In verse 1 there, that term where it says, where, you know, seeing we are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, people think that that great cloud of witnesses are folks in heaven watching us live for Jesus Christ. There are commentaries that talk about that. There are people in heaven watching us live for Christ, cheering us on, and they base it primarily from this text here. But what do, we, what do we do? We use the Scripture to define Scripture. And this is where we have to be careful not to make the Bible say something that it actually doesn't say. Here's what Paul's saying. Wherefore, seeing that we are compassed about with such a mass of witness from chapter 11. So how do we figure out what it's talking about? Let's take some words. Witness. What does witness mean? Does witness mean, I see you? Or does witness mean something else? The Greek definition, the Greek word witness means this. One who testifies or who can testify to what he has seen or heard or knows. So what is a witness? A witness is one who testifies about what he has seen, what he has heard, what he knows. Right? So, Paul says, we are encompassed by a great mass of those who testify to what they have seen, to what they have heard, and to what they know. This Greek word, witness, is the Greek word martus. Martus. Does it sound familiar to any other word that might come to mind? Martyr. We get our English word martyr from the Greek word martus. Martus meaning witness. Or one who testifies of what they know, what they have seen, or what they have heard. When the, when the Bible speaks of a... Who, who is the Bible speaking of when they speak of this great cloud or mass of witnesses? Specifically... Verse 1 is talking about Abel and Enoch and, and um, Moses and Abraham and Sarah and Jephthah. All the people that were mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11 and probably others that the Bible doesn't teach of but who, who've done like Abraham and in, in all and who have testi testified about uh, their faith and what faith has done in their life. But specifically, it's talking about those people, those Old Testament saints who, who have testified in chapter 11. When we say that this verse is talking about folks in heaven sitting there as in stands cheering us on, it's nuts. It's not exegetically correct. It is, it is putting a different meaning into what God is trying to say to you. 
Here's what it means. Everybody who is described in chapter 11, they are the great cloud of witnesses. And they are testifying to the ability or the efficacy of the faith way of life. In other words, that comes from weeks. In other words, chapter 11 is witnessing to the fact that faith works. Faith moves in people's lives. Faith does something. Why is that so important? Why is it so important? You know why, Dinah? Because you're getting ready to quit. Not really. But if you were in the Hebrew church back then, and you were reading this letter, it was being written to you by Paul because you're struggling. Or, Nikki, it's to you because you're struggling. And Paul is saying, listen, listen. Read about Abraham. Read about Enoch, who was taken to heaven because he walked a faithful life and he pleased God. And read about Sarah when she was an old woman and thought that children had passed her by. There was no hope. There was no hope. There was no chance in this world that she'd ever have children on her own. But because God said she would, she held on to that faith and she had children. When you see hopelessness and despair in your life, realize that faith overcomes those things. Not because you have great faith, but it overcomes those things because of the object of that great faith. God. What is impossible with God? Nothing. Now, the reason Paul wrote that is this. Because we have this great mass of witness that tells us that faith works, that faith is powerful, faith is able to produce a desired and intended result. Faith is simply believing God's Word and acting upon that Word. Amen? That's what faith is. And because we have this great cloud of witnesses, here's what we can do. Since we have the example from Hebrews 11 standing before us, since we have now seen what faith works, you're struggling. You're wanting to quit. You're wanting to give in. But because you now seen in chapter 11, the letter that I just wrote to you, the stories that I told you from God's Word and from our history and that are real, because of those things, here's what Paul says that you and I as God's people should do. Look at verse 1. Number 1, lay aside every weight. I was 17 years old and 3 months. I was 17 years and 3 months old when I raised my right hand and I gave my life to the United States Army. All right? I, I look like a five-year-old. I, I mean, I have pictures. I, I, Andrew, I, I looked like I was a baby. I was skinny and scrawny and, and scared of my own shadow. But for whatever reason, I joined the, the United States Army, the, the National Guard. And uh, I remember when I was a private, I was just learning. And we went on our first um, training mission. The, my sergeant said, all right, Private Messersmith, 
pack your kit. Get it ready for the, get it ready for the, 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 the time that we're going to be away and, 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 and get your stuff together. I said, okay, man, I packed everything. I packed, I packed clothes for, for cold weather. I packed extra clothes for if I got wet. I packed food in case the, 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 the kitchen, or the, the, the mess didn't get there. I mean, you name it, I packed it, and that ruck was massive. You know, y'all know what a ruck is? A rucksack, yeah. Big old ruck. I packed it. I had it all together. Then, on my boot, I had a knife. Why? Well, I didn't need a knife, but I was a soldier, so you carry a knife, right? So I had a knife in my boot. I had my wallet over here that was encased in a... I can't tell you the word. A, a waterproof packet. Okay, over here. I had my Kevlar helmet on. I had my M16A1 rifle. It was in the old army. We didn't have the new stuff. I had my bayonet. I had all kinds of stuff, and we started road marching. Then all of a sudden, my body started fatiguing, and I started wearing out. And I, I was thinking, why did I bring all this stuff? Guess what it did? It hindered me. I had all this weight. Emily and Zach, I'm up here. That this is, yeah, okay, just focus up here. I had all this weight on me, and I couldn't make it. As soon as I was able to, I ditched half my stuff. I said, I don't need the Snickers bars. I don't need this. I'm, I don't need five pairs of underpants. I don't need six uniforms. The next time we went on a mission, my rucksack was a third of the size it was before. I took one change of clothes just in case, period. That was it. Nothing else, just a pair of trousers, the blouse. I figured the undergarments could get taken care of later, you know. I didn't bring any extra food. I brought some uh, seeds and raisins and nuts. That's it. I brought just what I needed. You know what I learned? I learned if I brought too many things, they would hinder me in my, in my work, in, in the mission that I was, was to do. And it caused me problems. So later on, I learned that I needed to lay aside the things that encumbered me. You know, in the Christian life, there are things that encumber us for living this Christian life. You know what Paul's saying? He's saying, look at the cloud of witnesses. Look at Abraham and the others. Look at David. Look at Samson. Do you know that in all of these people's lives, in order for them, and Samson isn't always a great example because he really didn't, have a life of faith he died in faith but he didn't have a life of faith but others they they we look at their example and, and we realize in order for them to have carried on they had to get rid of things in their life there are hindrances in our life not sin this is not sin things that encumber us from serving the lord and they can be innocent things they can be things that are good but that do not help us. Take, for instance, what Paul's talking about, a runner in a race. When Elisa likes to run, she's starting to run a little bit. When she runs, she runs with a runner outfit on, okay? I don't know what you call them, but little legging things, a, 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 a couple of different shirts, and that's all. She's got her little pack that puts her little iPod in, her earbuds, and, and her shoes. We went and bought her a pair of shoes, and... 
For me, I just wanted to know how heavy or light they were. For Lisa, they had to be light, but they also had to be a pretty color. So you, know, you ladies understand. I picked up a pair of shoes, and they were big and clunky. She said, oh, no, no, can't wear those. She went for the narrow, skinny things. Why? Because anything excess will encumber a runner in running. Unless you're, unless you're um, a Tornado Tidswell. And then you could just rip through it, and, and it doesn't make a difference. You just carry on. But here's what Paul's saying in the Christian life. Do you remember these Hebrew people? They, they were running this Christian life, but Paul says, listen, there's a great amount of testimonies that say that you can make it in the life of faith. You can. You all right, honey? Holler and Andrew will come and run out. There's a great amount of illustrations of testimonies of people who can make it in the faith. And you can make it. That's what Paul's saying. You can live by faith. Whatever comes against you, whatever Satan throws at you, whatever we end up throwing at ourselves, because you know in the Christian life, we throw a lot of stuff our own way, don't we? You know, you can't say, oh, the devil, it's the devil. It's a, sometimes it's stupid me. Sometimes it's me making a wrong decision against God's Word. Sometimes it's me not listening to the counsel of godly people. Sometimes it's me just simply doing wrong. And I bring things into my own life. But Paul says, listen, the first thing that you do when you run a race, you lay aside that the things that will slow you down. It could be friends. It could be people in your life that are not people of faith. And Paul's not saying get rid of them because I don't think we should throw our friends away if they don't know Jesus. I think it's the opposite. I think we should love them even more if they don't know Jesus because they need to know Jesus. So it's not saying get rid of them out of your life, but you know what? Maybe it's we don't, we don't have them in our life as much. Hey man, if they are tempting you to do something wrong, you need to give some distance to it. If there are things in your life, I, I'm so thankful for Nikki's testimony. Over a year ago now, you gave up drinking alcohol. It's been a hindrance in your life. Became, well, it was a hindrance in your life. So you put it off. So that you could grow in your faith. Do you understand what Paul's saying here? It could be alcohol. It could be friends. It could be innocent things like too much TV or even too much reading of books or too much of whatever. Paul's not saying that the things that you need to lay aside are sinful. He's saying that these things are things that you need to lay aside because they hinder you in your living for Christ. David Guzik says, our choices in the Christian life are not always between right and wrong. Okay? Sometimes they are between something that may hinder us and something else that may not hinder us. I've often said in life, choices aren't like um, good and bad. Choices in, as for the Christian often are what's best and better. Or what's better and what's best. And, and David is, is saying this, we often have to say, that's an okay thing. 
that's all right. There's nothing wrong with me going to a cinema movie. But when I'm going to 10 cinema movies a week, well, that's going to be a hindrance in my life. There's nothing wrong with me doing such and such. But if it becomes something that causes me to slip in my faith or causes it to be too big of a rucksack where it's hindering me from moving on, then I need to lay it aside. I can't determine what are hindrances in your life. You and I, Lisa and the kids, we all have to sit down and say, are there any things in my life not sinful stuff, but is there anything in my life that is just slowing me down for Christ? That's hindering me for Christ. Because do you know what a hindrance eventually becomes? A hindrance becomes a, becomes a stoppage. Okay, Because when you become hindered and hindered and hindered, you end up stopping. Or you end up not finishing like you could. And that's what Paul's saying as the runner illustration. If you run with things that hinder you, you'll never run the race like you should. Okay? And God wants us to run the race like we should. So he says, put the things aside that will hinder you. Is there a weight in our life that we should lay aside? And I just wrote some thoughts. These are not things that are bad in themselves but which when we, when we look at them in the end, they were things that hindered the work of the child of God and they must be put aside. Just as the runner in a race travels as lightly as possible, the Christian must avoid being weighted down with all kinds of worldly duties and commitments. This is a real good thought actually. Sometimes the best word a Christian knows is the word no. For instance, Nikki, would you like to lead the music? Yes. Nikki, would you like to teach Sunday school? Yes. Nikki, would you take on Nam? Yes. Nikki, would you? Yes. All of a sudden, you become hindered. Now she does lead music and she does work in Nam. But you have to, you have to understand how much you can take on and how much you shouldn't take on. They're both equally important decisions. Because if we get so weighted down with duties and responsibilities, we cannot put our best effort in the things that we need to. I think that's why um, the Bible says, you know, the was it in the book of Acts where it says, um, um, let us go pick these six men so that they can take care of the the, the, the widow ladies, the, the, the Greek widow ladies, because we need to give ourselves to what? The teaching of the Word, the preaching of the Word. Why? They didn't want to be hindered by excess responsibilities and duties that would slow them down in their main cause and purpose. Amen? Christian, it doesn't matter if you're a preacher, teacher, or whatever. All of us need to consider this idea because Paul said, listen, you are to finish like they did. That's how you're to finish. You're to finish like David and Abraham and those men of faith and Ruth and others, those women of faith and, and Sarah. And you think, well, they had messed up lives. Yes, they did, didn't they? There's not a single character in the Bible 
can't count Jesus because he's like completely different. But there's not one single character in the Bible that something negative is not mentioned about them other than Joseph. He's the only one that you can't find really anything negative about his character or about his life. But everybody else that, were, that was named in that, that chapter of faith, they had problems, didn't they, Andrew? That's a wonderful illustration because you don't have to be perfect to end well. Amen? God never asks any of us to be perfect. He never asks any of us to, to you know, be without fault or mistake. He understands we are still corrupted by that human sinful nature. It will never leave us until we're in heaven, right? Paul says at Romans chapter 7, I fight this human nature and I'm going to continue to fight this human nature, but I can do it in the power of God. I can fight that human nature. And Christ in me is enough. And, 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 and so what we need to do is lay aside the things that could hinder us from running the race. I thought when I was finishing that point up, that thought, you know, we are to live our lives for Christ. We are to run the race like the Old Testament saints did by laying aside every weight. I was thinking about Abraham. Abraham said, I'm a pilgrim and a sojourner in this world. And the idea is this, that he didn't, he didn't live for the possessions. He didn't live for the materialism. But if you think about Abraham, what was he? He was filthy rich. Think about it. He said, I'm sojourning here. The idea is I'm not attaching myself to the materialism of this world, the, to the materialistic philosophy of this world. But yet God blessed him with so much that Lot and him eventually had to split. Right? Abraham casted off the desire of possession because that would have hindered him in the walk of faith. But even still, God blessed him. We can be that way. We must lay aside the things that will hinder us. We all have something that we need to lay aside. But number two, so we get in verse one, because we see this great testimony of witnesses in Hebrews 11, you can live like that. You can have that faith. You can be victorious in your life. Look at their example and realize it can be the same for you. But in order for it to be, number one, lay aside every weight that might hinder you. But number two, the verse says, and the sin which does so easily beset you. What it means by easily beset you, it's this idea of ambushing you. Every single Christian has things in our life. We have we have sinful things in our life that can sneak up us and catch us at any moment. There are things that we have propensities towards, right? All of us have something that, that we know we are weak against, right? There's, there's, that's, why, that's, why, that's why I don't even get near alcohol, and I've told you that before. I don't, because I can easily be entangled by that stuff. 
Every single man in my family back home, Andrew, is an alcoholic. All of them. My, my brother, every time I see him, he's semi-drunk. Because it just ensnares them. I don't want that in my life. We all have these things which easily besets us. So what does Paul say? We need to lay aside the weight, but we also need to lay aside the sin which doth easily beset us. How do we do that? How do we lay aside the things that we can easily fall to? Is there a one, two, three point system where, okay, number one, tie your shoes. Number two, tighten up your belt. Number three, put on your coat. And that's how you can defeat sin. There's nothing like that in Scripture. You know, how do you defeat sin? How do you prepare against the sins that can at any moment maybe overtake you or any moment ambush you is kind of what it's saying. Let me give you two points. I, I just told you there's no points, but th there are two things that we can do. Number one, take your Bibles and go to Ephesians chapter 6. God has given to us everything we need to live victorious in this Christian life. He says in Ephesians chapter 6, it is the armor of God. It is the, it is the military soldier's kit to fighting battles. Ephesians chapter 6. In verse 11 it says, put on the whole armor of God. Put on the entire kit of God that He's given you. Why do you do that? So that you can stand against the wiles or the schemes of Satan. Satan schemes to get you and I. The only way we can really stand against those things is if we put on what God has for us in the Christian life. So he says, put on that whole entire armor of God so that you can stand. Why? Because we don't fight against flesh and blood but we fight against the principalities and powers and, and rulers of the darkness of this world. We fight against spiritual wickedness in high places. That's verse 12. Verse 13. Because of that, take, on, take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day having done all to stand. Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, the breastplate of righteousness, your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked, and take the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. But don't stop the armor of God at verse 17. Carry on. Because verse 18 is part of it as well. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. Now, don't have time tonight to, to tear apart what the armor of God is. But, if you go onto our website, at the church's website, there's about three or four or five sermons. I can't remember. A couple of years ago, I think Corey has it set off in its own little category, maybe called, Ar called Armor of God, I think. You go to the series Armor of God, and I, and I went probably for a month or so, through the entire armor of God and, and, and tore it down to what it does for us. But that's what we need to do. The very first thing that we need to do 
is put on the armor of God. Put on all that God has given to us in order to stand against the devil. But what else? These sins that come and attack us all the time. These things that can ensnare us. You know, to be ensnared is like a rabbit happily walking along in the forest. You like my rabbit picture? Happily walking along in the forest. And there's a hungry hunter over there. And he's got himself a little rabbit trap. And that rabbit, not knowing what's going on, think everything's just fine. All of a sudden, wham! That, like maybe the little metal snare goes boom! And breaks the leg and done rabbit. That is to be ensnared. Or, you know, you watch Robin Hood on TV and I don't know, some dude's walking along and all of a sudden he steps on a piece of grassy thing and you're, you're thinking, don't go there, don't go, oh, too late. And it goes whipping him up into the air. That is being ensnared. That is the de- things that we deal with. Have you, listen, have you ever been living along in your Christian life, read your Bible, prayed that morning, did all the little spiritual things that you're supposed to do, and then midway through the day you're thinking, how in the world did I ever get where I'm at right now? How did I just cuss that guy out? How did I just have that bad thought in my mind? How did I just look at that and want to look at that? Do you understand? Sin can ambush us. Sin can ensnare us. How do we protect ourselves against being ensnared? Paul says, lay aside the weights. Lay aside the sins that easily get you. How do you do that? Well, you know what? You put on God's armor to protect you. But secondly, look at this. In the Bible, and again in Ephesians, go. we're in chapter 6 there. Now go back to chapter 4. And, I, and I'm... If I, I have done my best, okay? Alright? Ephesians chapter 4. It, it says this. This I say therefore, and I testify in the Lord, that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk, in the vanity of their mind, having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over unto lasciviousness to work all uncleanness with greediness, But you have not so learned Christ. If so be that ye have heard Him and have been taught by Him as the truth is in Jesus. Here it is. That you put off concerning the former conversation the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that ye put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Does anybody understand what I just said? Let me give it to you in a different way. Basically, he says, put off the old man and put on the new man. Let me read it to you in a paraphrasing commentary kind of way. So I'm reading this translation to you as a commentary to the text that I just read. Commentary, okay? With the Lord's authority, I am saying this to you. Live no longer as the Gentiles do, for they are hopelessly confused. Their minds are full of darkness. They wander far from the life God gives because they have closed their minds and hardened their hearts against Him. They have no sense of shame. 
They live for lustful pleasure and eagerly practice every kind of impurity. But that isn't what you have learned about Christ. Since you have heard about Jesus and have learned that the truth that comes from him, and have learned the truth that comes from him, throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Did you get that? Throw off that former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Okay? Put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. What does he mean by all that? We got these sins that easily get a hold of us. We live this Christian life. We're battling the flesh. We're running this race. And Paul says, you can do it just like them saints did it. So lay aside the stuff that weighs you down. Then lay aside the sins that easily get a hold of you. Well, how do you lay aside sin? Okay, I'm not going to just... You can't do that, can you? So you put on God's armor to protect you. Then secondly, you put off that old man and you put on the new man. How do you put on that new man? You know what Paul, you know what he's saying and through all the scripture? It is not enough to simply put off the old man. It is not enough to simply to get saved and stop doing things. Say, all right, now I'm saved. I'm not going to sin, lie, steal, cheat, cuss, run around. I'm going to do that no more. I'm just going to sit here and do nothing. Can't do that. What needs to be constantly changed? We're a new creation inside, but guess what? We still got this old brain, and we got our way of thinking, and we have our way of understanding. And what needs to be changed? This. Because when we change this, it affects everything else, doesn't it? What does, what's he saying? We must put on the new man for true and lasting change to take place. We are being renewed when our desires are motivated by the Holy Spirit working in us. I don't want to look at that picture anymore because the Holy Spirit of Christ is working in me, telling me that ain't right. Strengthening me not to look. Helping me not to do those things. And how does that continuously go on? Simply put, by learning the Scriptures and having the Scriptures get ensconced into our life, get into our mind, the Word of God infusing us, and as it infuses us, it changes us, does it not? Stop reading your Bible. Stop. And see what you become in a short period of time. Continue reading the Word of God, having the Holy Spirit of God in you, and see what you continue to become. Amen? Our attitudes and thoughts become more Christ-like. 2 Corinthians 5.14 For the love of Christ constrains us because we thus judge that if he died for all we are all dead and that he died in that he died for all that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves but unto him which died for them and rose again each time we choose to replace a sinful desire or attitude or thought with a biblical desire attitude or thought our thinking is being renewed. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you, that, now I can't remember. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you 
Present yourself so holy, a living. Oh man. I beseech you, you know, I'll get it eventually. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you prove what is the good and perfect and acceptable will of God. What happens? We lay lay aside these besetting sins, the way we do it is we become more like Christ all the time. We put on the armor of God and we change our mind by the Word of God and the Spirit of God working inside of us. Amen? Amen? This renewal leads us to putting off the old way of life and putting on the new way of life that is pleasing to God. This is a process that takes time. It's also an exercise of our will and in the power of the Holy Spirit. So here's what Paul's saying in chapter, in verse 1, basically. Paul says, you can live a life of faith. You can do it, and we have the proof of it by the Old Testament saints who have gone before us, who have lived a life of a life that shows us that faith is able because the object of our faith is the living God. We can do it. You can do it because they did it. And now you're in this race of life, so lay aside the junk that weighs you down and lay aside the sin that easily gets hold of you. And you do that by renewing your mind and becoming a changed person. Amen? Amen. He won't like it, but I'll use Andrew as an illustration. I got an email from his brother last week. Is it okay to tell this? I got an email. It's too late now. I'm bad at that. I got an email from his brother. He basically thanked our church for working in Andrew's life. And you know what he said? He said that Andrew's a different person, not because of us, but because of him. What's happening? Andrew's getting renewed all the time. And we can say that about everybody, really. I, I posted something on Facebook the other day by John Newton. It was something to the effect of, I'm not what I should be, but I thank God I'm not what I was. Amen? That's us. You can do it. I've seen it. So have you. Abel, Enoch, Abraham. David, Samson, all them guys, the ladies, all the people in the Word of God, use their testimony to be an encouragement to you to live a life of faith. Amen? Amen.